Hello and welcome to this week's episode. We have Dr. Michelle Seeger. Since 1994, she has been designing and evaluating methods to help people transform their mindsets by flipping their internal scripts about exercise and self-care. She combines academic research with real-world health coaching, permits her to create practical and engaging sustainable change systems for digital health and individual coaching counseling that are being scaled to boost patient and population health, employee well-being, and gym member retention. Michelle has worked with and advised a number of prominent organizations. And her new book, The Joy Choice, was named one of the best health books experts read by 2022 in the Washington Post. It introduces a practical science-based system for breaking down all-or-nothing thinking and cultivating the flexible and tactical decision-making that supports sustaining exercise, healthy eating, and self-care within the complexities of daily life. We are bombarded with so many messages about what is health and what is wellness. But Dr. Michelle Seeger is an expert and breaks through all of the research. And fun fact, she ran with the Olympic torch at the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. It's pretty darn cool. So I'm super excited to have her on to break down some myths, some realities, give us some truth on what it means to truly change with joy. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We're finally here with Michelle, which we had a nice conversation that her last name is Seeger and my wife's name is Seeger and maybe we're related somehow. <laughs> my wife, I don't know. I'm going to find out after the show and text my father-in-law to figure out. Um, but I'm super excited. You know, we met through a mutual colleague and friend and it took a little bit because of me. Uh, I'm the worst of rescheduling, but thank you so much for sticking with it and being so flexible and kind. Michelle, can you introduce yourself to the listeners so we can get right into this awesome conversation? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. I love the name of it. Um, uh, I'm Michelle. Uh, I have been studying how to create sustainable, healthy lifestyles for almost 30 years from both a research perspective, from academic research, my own and that of others, as well as coaching individuals in these processes. So you know, that's what I'm passionate about. And that's why I'm here talking to you. I love that. Cause I think we're all trying to be healthy in the best way we can and hopefully doing it in a smart way that is good for us and not destructive for us. And I think sometimes when people talk health and wellness, they talk about like the intense extremes, but I think you come from a very good perspective of making changes to our lives that are productive based and focused on that world. But before we get into that, how'd you get into this? Like what pushed you into this research or that perspective of being, hey, you know, I'm going to be in the the change and habits of, of, you know, health. Thank you for asking that question. The, I, you know, there is a seminal, something really did happen. And I'll just tell you briefly what it was. Um, 1994, February. So we're talking about now we're almost, we're, what is it, 29 years and 11 months away from those focus groups. Um, I was doing my master's thesis in kinesiology, getting my first um, master's. And we were looking to see if exercise 
could reduce depressive and anxiety symptomatology in cancer survivors. And these were people who were four and, a, four and a half years out on average from treatment. So they weren't going through treatment for the most part. They were busy adults, you know, living lives and they joined our study. Um, and so we were looking to see if the group that was randomized to exercise did better than the control group. And surprise, no surprise, we found that, you know, the group that exercised did significantly do better on these psychological outcomes. But part of our study design, thank you, Randy Roth, was to um, do focus groups about three months after our study ended. And we did the measures again, but really they were focused on talking to people and finding out how did it go? What's going on? And you know, at the beginning of these conversations, I was in my mid-20s and I was feeling so excited. I knew the pre-post data. I knew that our, our intervention had worked. But I thought, wow, we didn't just do good research. We actually helped people in real life. But I was wrong because almost everyone had stopped exercising three months before when our study had ended. And so I asked people, why? Why? And they said, Michelle, I'm busy. I have a job. I have families. I have aging parents, this, that, and the other. I don't have time to exercise. And the fact that people who'd faced a life-threatening illness didn't have the mindset and skill set to prioritize their own self-care mm. when our study ended, they did for us but they didn't do it for themselves. I thought we've got a real problem in society and bingo, that is my problem and I'm going to solve it. And truly everything I've been doing since that time, 29 years and 11 months ago has been in service of understanding the full problem. What is everything wrapped around? It's not just busyness. There's other things too. And most importantly, how do we fix those things? How do we mm -hmm. overcome those things? And so my systems of behavior change are a result of that. You know, I love that. I know I've fallen into that trap many, many times of uh, that invigoration of excitement to work out. When I was uh, in college, I did the insanity workout. I don't know if you've heard about that. And yeah. like me and my my roommate, we did we stuck to it. And it was funny because at the, at the same time, this is not a real research study, but seven or eight of the other roommates in college were doing it and we all started in the same week or so. And we were the only ones that stuck with it. And it was hard. I mean, that was painful. And I was always like amazed. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, you're still doing it? I'm like, yeah, we, we, we started it. Let's, let's finish it. I don't think I have the same mentality anymore because I think I have more excuses of family and all those things. And it's just so funny. I guess you must get a, a ridiculously upset at the beginning of the year when everyone's like, oh, I'm going to work out. And then no one does. So, and the gyms are always packed and the, and the, the health so stores are always filled and or empty because everything's taken. For you, when it comes down to it, it, is it is it more about the want? Is it more about the need? What really drives people to make the distinction between sticking to something versus yes. giving up? Yes. No, that's, a, that, I mean, that's the question, right? So um, I can tell you that 
first of all, I just have to comment on what you said. I want to say, I don't think they're excuses. So I think that's the wrong frame. I think they're competing goals. And so that's, that's something that I just want to comment on. But so, you know, I have my sustainable change formula. um, And what I would say to you is there's got to be a driver. And also this is what a body of science shows too. So we need a driver and that's what quote unquote um, motivation is. And so if you don't feel driven to do something, you're, you're not going to do it. So if you don't have, so that is a key component, but it's not enough. You've got to have the right driver. Um, And so a lot of times people start exercising because they feel out of shape because their doctor's warning them they're pre-diabetic or they simply want to get healthier. And those are the most common reasons, or at least they has been until COVID. There's been some new data coming out in terms of why people say they exercise. But in general, most people have said they exercise because they want to be healthier and lose weight. Unfortunately, those two reasons, while very logical and valuable, valid, tend to be among the worst long-term drivers Mm. of sustainability. And do you want to take a hanker, you know, at why that would be? Because they don't see the result? That, yeah. I mean, in, in, in a nutshell, yes. I mean, first of all, we know exercise barely touches our weight. It's really what we eat that determines. And this has been shown, you know, time that is not, again. right? Everyone knows that. But also, if you're trying to get healthier, where's your data? What's going to, re- you're busy. Like you were talking about your competing goals. You've got to have a really, really, really compelling reason to take time away from the work you love and the people you care deeply about and love and cherish to do something like exercise. So if your reason isn't so relevant, compelling, um, it's just not going to it's not going to be a good driver. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to cut to the chase and say the best drivers for physical activity have to do with you knowing um, unconsciously or consciously, and preferably both, that it helps you feel better. Mm-hmm. That when you move, you feel better in your mind and in your body. And that is the most potent driver. So that's part of it, and it's but it's not everything. I love that you reframe my words. Uh, I'm glad you did that. I, I, I think I said it on purpose to see if you would, uh, maybe I'm just trying to be too much of a therapist, but like <laughs> I, I, was, I was seeing if you would like catch that because when we say, I don't like when people say excuses either. Because for me, it's just what the priority is right That's now. Right. That's right. So when I talk, you know, I, I I specialize in relationships and couples and parenting and anxiety. Those are like the three things that I really work with often and love to work with. And it's all about what priority has the has the lead role right now or the lead singer of the band. And most most young people in the stage of having children, that's the focus a lot of time. And it's why sometimes when you go to the gym, you either see college students, college kids, or older people because they're not in that stage anymore because they can give the time. Not that they never wanted to. It's just that something else had to take focus. And I think we get very hard on ourselves. I know myself, the focus on what we consider to be healthy movement or even health. And my wife is is the the, the king of this or the queen of this, of uh, the idea of just go for a walk. That's right. I'm like... Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. CrossFit, insanity. I want to feel like I'm dying. I don't want to, what is that? That's stupid. But really what I've been trying to do lately, 
with having two little kiddos, full-time job, podcasting, all these wonderful things in my life, we moved out to the West Coast. We live in Vegas, and I can go for a walk now any day. So if I have a a phone call Mm -hmm. session, I go for a walk while talking, and I feel unbelievable when I come back for 45 minutes. And I'm like, what the heck is this garbage? You're right. You feel this way? Yes. That's so the way, you know, the research on framing, as you know, shows that um, our frame on a behavior influences how we experience it. And Mm -hmm. so you kind of originally came to it. I mean, you're, you know, you kind of overcame that effect because you're finding it positive anyway. You know, today in the New York Times, actually, at least in the alert I got, they have a, a, a whole section, a whole column on walking and motivate why walking is so awesome. It's so awesome. But so we've spent the last, you know, this is even older than you, but the last five decades of of marketing and education and um, uh, about exercise and physical activity has emphasized hardcore insanity like hit. And the problem is, is that the re- the real thing we know is that people have got to do what they're going to stay motivated to do and something is better than nothing so if you're doing something that you hate and by- and maybe you had more energy to do insanity back then you know i actually have a friend who's a parent and she goes back and forth between doing insanity and doing yoga and whatever but she what we have to do is figure out what's going to work for us. But what mm-hmm. we do, have, what everyone has to do, who is not a right, who hasn't figured out how to be a regularly physically active person, is they have to just trash and toss out the any definitions of any shoulds and things they have to mm-hmm. do. Because the only thing you should do is the thing that's going to help you feel your best and that you're going to stay motivated to do. I love that. And, and, and I think also for a lot of people, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, is the idea of, I say this when it comes to gym and, and health and also with therapy or coaching or anything like that, it has to be accessible. And what I mean by that is location, affordability, time, and want. So for therapy, if someone's too expensive, you're not going. If if in-person versus tele makes the distinction and I would pick a gym that's 30 minutes away that I love, but the gym around the corner, I'm probably going to go to the gym around the corner more often than I would the 30 minutes away with my schedule. That's right. But like, I love CrossFit. I love it. It's so darn expensive. Mm-hmm. Can't do it anymore. Right. There are other priorities that need to be, which is like paying bills and yeah. food and my children mm-hmm. and my wife. It doesn't mean that I don't love that. And the hard part is, is replacing something you love with a thing that's accessible. Yes. So what are some of your tips for someone who might be like, let's say me, who loves a certain workout, has worked for them or a way of movement and learning ways to replace another thing that can be just as healthy and just as good for them. But their mindset is, this is a load of garbage. I wish I could do that. Right. Oh, you know what? That is such a perfect question. I hope you don't mind if I make my my next newsletter about this question, because that is a really Please. important question. Just make so, sure to write it down so you don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I'm going to just say, well, the question was from, from love, want to convenience, abil- you know, a, a, a ability to do it. So it, it, it just, you kind of have to take a step back and say, you know, in life, 
things are constantly changing, right? And, you know, uh, in in the presentation, a presentation I just gave, I had this statement that said, um, the value of any choice is determined by the context of other choices and needs. And so mm-hmm. this, this is what we're talking about, that your love of CrossFit, your want of CrossFit, it, the, the, it is, it's changed. The value of that has changed based on your family and your other needs. So what do you do? You kind of have to recognize, you recognize, yeah, this is what I wish I could do right now. And I can't for these really valuable, valid reasons, right? So step one is to just recognize that you're in the situation, right? Because when we, you know, as, as Dan Siegel says, name it to tame it. So even in the situation, by bringing it to the conscious mind, it isn't unconsciously getting in your way of doing something else. So let's name it to tame it, the situation. And you can even feel sad, right? You can't do what you really want to do. So number one. Number two is really getting very clear about the value, what, why you actually want movement in your life. What, you know, why did you want, why is CrossFit so awesome? Um, and those are the benefits you got from it. And are those the things that you are missing from that you want in your life? And so then the question is, what are alternatives? Like, what are other options? And it might not be perfect. Like, you know, just like our relationships with our spouses or partners go up and down and our relationships with our kids go up and down. Someday we may have this perfect exchange and we're just like, oh my God, right? It's like nirvana. And other days you're like, oh, I can't believe it. It's the same with our, with our, with physical activity. We have a lifelong relationship, hopefully with physical activity. And the nirvana moment of CrossFit is not available right now. So what are the alternatives? And um, in order to operationalize or actualize um, sustainable change or sustainability, I believe we need to shift our belief system from a a perfection, all or nothing thinking to this is what is possible right now. And it might be in my life over the next three months, all I, you know, because of affordability and convenience, all I can do is walk. And, you know, I'm not very excited about that, but look what happened on your walks. Like you're discovering, oh my gosh, they're fueling me. They're feeding me. And boy, when you take a walk with your kids, not only are you spending time with them, but guess what you're doing? You are modeling to them that as grownups, as busy grownups, it's important to make time for physical activity. So that's the beauty of doing that. Was that helpful? Yeah, for sure. I, I love everything you're saying. I think it's amazing. And, and I would just add the word that I, I think of as radical acceptance, right? Which are like, this is the reality. It might not be great or fun or exciting, but this is. Now what? Right. That's and right. I think I think that as a society, as humans, we struggle so much with the radical acceptance piece of accepting the reality that is might feel out of control. It might feel ridiculous. It might feel unfair, but it is. And then I need to then adjust and pivot my life and my perspective to the reality that now is. That's so right. I know I know I work with parents a lot. And when a kid comes into play, right? And you now have a newborn baby, your life has shifted forever. That's right. And for the most part, it's beautiful and good. 
And for parts of it, it is a struggle and and ridiculous. And you can't believe you have a kid and you're up half the night and, you know, you have to shift your, your idea of being selfless and putting yourself farther on the list of priorities than your kids. And it, it just is the reality. If you don't accept it, your kid will die, right? If, if you don't accept it, you can't be a good parent, right? So we have to do that a lot in life. And I think people sometimes are not willing to do that with their health. To accept a reality of I'm at this size, let me see what I can do now, or I don't feel good about this, let me make that adjustment. And and I, I think it, it, the question I was really thinking about asking you earlier was: people are so readily to jump to do things for their health, but struggle so much to keep to their why and let the other things come into distracting them. Versus a job versus when it's just a, the, you, even just 1994, this study, I would think from an outside perspective, if someone's being told you're going to die in, in five months unless you do something, that would be the biggest driver of my life. Everything would fall to the wayside. I wouldn't care anymore. I would just care about that. Why is that not such a driving force as much as I th- think it could? Well, or, the- you know? So I'm starting to get into some new research related to cardiac um, rehab. And I had a meeting today um, and with people who've been doing cardiac rehab for a long time. And they said to me, you know, we have no trouble with adherence to our cardiac rehab program because people um, are, are very, they, they don't want to die. But as soon as the program's over and that proximity and salience of that they don't stick with it. So mm. that's kind of that's kind of the problem with promoting health, exercise or physical activity for health. Because if there is a scary message from the doctor, it is going to motivate you to start. Um, the problem is once you get far enough away from that, mm. other it becomes it's it's less Body. relevant it's less in the forefront and so um i can t- I, here's the biggest problem i mean this has become you know did it is has it took me taken me 3 decades to really understand this even though i've been talking about this there a huge mistake happened when when our culture when healthcare when marketers um branded physical activity um, for health and weight. Horrible mistake. Because what it should have been branded as, as a, a, a choice and action we can take to energize ourselves and lift our moods and reduce our stress. And if that had been the way that people had been taught to think about exercise and they were doing physical activities, not that they thought they should do and they hated and that felt punishing, but that actually help them realize those experiences, man, then more, so many more people would want to be active and figure out a way to fit it in much more consistently, even if it's just a little piece, because sometimes that's all we can do. I I just spoke with uh, Christy Harrison, um, who is like the the leading expert on intuitive eating and like an anti-diet perspective. Mm -hmm. And she said a similar thing that if the focus is less about weight and more about feeling healthy or feeling good or feeling proud or energizing, 
the one the second we branded it as a weight loss it just destroyed everyone's confidence yes. or even want to do it because it's like well I don't I don't see any change why would I do that I'm going to go do the snake oil or the extreme to lose the weight because that's the goal of wellness is to lose weight or that's right. the facade but right. in reality no one feels good about that right that's if you're starving right. yourself you don't feel good right if you're drinking the snake oil you don't feel good you're you're just solving a, a problem quote unquote but it's not really integrating into your life your i mean and if you're in this view of changing yourself you are a pro- you are right now a problem you're yeah. you're a problem and you're trying to escape yourself in a way and that is a very self-negating mm-hmm. perspective. Um, and it's not to say that people, I'm not saying that people who want to lose weight shouldn't want to lose weight. I'm I'm saying the whole paradigm around mm-hmm. that has really poisoned yeah. um, intentional eating, physical activity, and, 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 you know, frankly, people's view of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really a shame because... You know, I have a question on my intake in my um, my coaching program where I say to people at the very beginning, if if you know this would only be true for someone who might be quote unquote overweight, if if you know carrying extra weight around were viewed as beautiful in society and is what was expected and desired, would you take care of yourself in a different way? Mm-hmm. And the answers are always always yes. Yeah, I mean, but think about how what a crazy um, mental act, uh, game that is. Yeah. Same person, same body. It has to do with society is saying about you. Yeah. And because of it being a positive thing, all of a sudden you're okay taking care of yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know, I just want to give a shout out. Well, first of all, I love everything you're saying. That you know your your book the joy choice, right? Which has, you know, just from the amazing accolades of being one of the best health books and you being one of the health best health book experts out there right now. It's it just so interesting that the book is called the joy choice, right? Cause that to me, I'm very into words and how we use them and, 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 and that we're not doing it as a needed choice or we have to, or we should but because I want to, and it makes me feel good. And for you, you talk about this idea of the decision trap. Can you talk about what that means and like what, I think you said there in the book, there are four. Yes. Right? What are those four decision traps and how we can get lost in that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, I, I came at, you asked me how I got into the field and it was about how to create sustainability. And over the years, I've come to realize that sustainability, maybe we shouldn't, use the word. As someone who's interested in language, I think you'll appreciate this. Instead of thinking about creating sustainable change, I think we need to start thinking about how do we create consistent decision-making. Decision-making, because that's what underlies sustainability. So the idea is that in life, regardless of what we plan and hope when it comes to our healthy eating and exercise, Life always happens, especially if you have kids. There's like, it's exponentially greater, right? That the life happening. So um, at these, I call them choice points. 
So when we can't, when our plan gets derailed unexpectedly, it's a choice point. And typically we've been socialized to think about it. Well, actually, so at this choice point, there tend to be four decision disruptors. Um, the first one is temptation. And, you know, it's, I'm sure when you hear that word, you know what it means. It's this visceral desire to, you know, to stay on the couch or to eat that piece of chocolate cake. And, um, one of the key things that people can learn and that I talk about in the book is there are brand new and, and this is not overly geeky science, right? But it's important to know what the latest science says, not the science from 30 years ago, but the latest science, just like new um, science and technology and um, fuel economy and electric cars gets us better mileage. The new theories of um, mind and behavior are much better than the older ones. So that's why we really do have to care about what the new science and theories are. So mm. there are new theories just about exercise and just about eating. And even though there are very different behaviors, these new theories actually overlap in key ways that can help us address the temptation at this decision point. Mm. And it's that when we feel tempted or we feel disdain to exercise, we feel disdain, ah, I don't want to do it. And we were like, oh my God, that piece of cake is calling me. We think about it as these things that we are right in front of us. But in mm -hmm. fact, it's our memories of past experiences that are driving those temptations. And that's really powerful to know. Like mm -hmm. if you can say to yourself, it's not actually that piece of cake. It's that it's my past history with that piece of cake. And that gives us a little perspective. And even just noticing that and thinking that again, going back to Tina and Dan's work with the brain and, you know, decision-making, just naming things gives us a little more cognitive control, puts mm -hmm. us in charge. So that's temptation. And so people can understand why that would be one of the biggest decision disruptors. The yeah. next one is rebellion. It's when you join Orange Theory because you think you should, but you hate it. And then when it's time to go to your class, you go, screw you, class. You know, I'm you're not, you're not going to, I'm not going to, you know, there's this someone that you're arguing with that someone is inside of yourself, but we're, we as human beings um, rebel against things that take our freedoms away. And so that's another really big um, dis decision disruptor. Mm -hmm. The next one is accommodation. And that refers to not sometimes, but always putting the needs of other people in our work ahead of our own self-care needs. So if you are always, you know, you have your plan to take a walk for, let's say, and anytime a client emails you or calls you, you just 100% pivot away from your plan or just there for whoever is always asking things, then you accommodation is going to be a disruptor for you. And then the last one, which actually amplifies all the other ones, is perfection. Mm. Because if you have to do it perfectly and you have to do the whole thing you have to follow your eating plan to a t mm. um then that sets you up to rebel it's there's mm. no compromise right there's no well i'm at a party and there's really nothing on my plan here so um instead of you, you feel like well let's throw everything out there's nothing i can do or physical activity i can't get to my plan gym class or orange theory whatever you 
I'm not, it's not worth doing. I'm, I failed. Mm-hmm. This didn't happen. Instead of compromising and saying, well, I could take a walk for 15 minutes outside. And yeah, maybe I don't get my heart rate up as much, but I am succeeding because I'm making, I'm picking the joy choice. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are the four disruptors, temptation, rebellion, accommodation, perfection. And guess what they spell? Trap. It's the acronym trap and it trap they trap your decisions at the at a choice point. You did that on purpose. I love that. I did. I love that. I love that. You know, I always joke around and I'm going to get to it I promise. I always joke around that I need some good acronyms if I'm going to be a, a famous speaker, you know? I just if not, like what am I doing here? You know, I have meta I have metaphors. I think every therapist has metaphors. But I need some good acronyms, you know? But I love that idea is that it's so true how we, I never thought of the temptation thing like that before of the right. idea that it, it's associated to either an experience or a memory of something. And, and to me, if that is, if that's the, the, and I think we have choice points every day. Yes. You know, we have choices every day. Um, I say that with relationships to choose your person every day. What I mean by that is choosing the positives and the reasons of good and why you want to be with them over the noise of the negatives that is can you can always find. You can always nitpick, you can always see the negatives. And if the choices you can you if you can make the choices every day to be with a person, that's the that's the activity, that's the action of relationship work and relationship building. But for me with with food, let's say, or a well like a working out and 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 those kind of actions. There's always choices in either direction, right? And the idea that the temptation of, let's say, a past experience with a food, what if I just really want it? What if it's just really yummy? I'm really hungry, right? How do I adjust those choice points that might, if I do the reflection and I do name it, it has nothing to do with, oh, it tastes like my mom's chocolate cake or, oh, it reminds me of my grandmother's home, right? What if it's just right in front of me, this thing right now? Yes. How do I deal so, with that choice point? Well, that's a great question. So there's a cup, there's a couple of parts to the answer. Um, the first one is one of the reasons why we don't why, one of the reasons why people overeat, I mean, there's lots of reasons, and you know, is because we always think we can't have it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that engages rebellion. So, you know, like you said, like even asking the question, what if it's right in front of me? Well, why wouldn't you eat it if it was right in front of you? Do you know what I mean? Like that's, so there is a rebellion there when you don't think you should have it, that, that just engages rebellion, number one. Um, And when you rebel, and this also has to do with perfection too, when you rebel, it's interesting because instead of just eating something that might be kind of just the regular, whatever, the thing that most people would eat, you eat 10 of them because you're in reactance. So you've got all this energy that's like, it's not just, oh yeah, I really want that. Eat it. It's like, I shouldn't, you know, I really shouldn't. It's like, And then you have like all this energy to overdo it. So that's, and then the other part is well, let's say you're trying to follow a plan and you've been feeling really good on it and you really, this thing is not on your plan, but you really want it. Maybe you could just say, gosh, I'm noticing that I really want this, right? Well, I, I'm, 
I don't want to miss out on this, but I don't want to eat the whole thing because I won't feel good about my choice. So why don't I eat half of it? Or why don't I split it with someone? Or now I want to tell you something specifically about this issue. Um, The research on this issue, which is, do you try to stick to your plan like on the weekends or special Mm -hmm. occasions? Or do you use what's called technically jargony, flexible restraint? Which group of people are actually going to do a better job with weight management and eating outcomes? Which one do you think the research shows? Probably the more flexibility. That's, yes, that is what the research shows. Long-term outcomes. Mm. But yet, it's the opposite of what we talk to ourselves about. And, And to tell you the truth, that the joy choice refers to the perfect and perfect option that lets us do something instead of nothing. So eating half of the cake is something. It's not eating the whole piece of our cake. The piece, It's not eating the whole piece. It's not eating five pieces. It's giving to yourself. You see, that gets back to this other question that we talked about. If we, if we believe that we're beautiful just the way we are and we're valuable just the way we are, no matter how much we weigh, then we, we want to give to ourselves um, and there's a lot less tension around every single thing we eat because we want to feel our best because we want to take care of ourselves. It's not about the number on the stale and the high stakes. Oh my God. Oh my God. What's going to happen? Which is what we all so much bring to these decision points. That's why, the, that's why we have to really deeply understand our internal scripts at these decision points, which is why understanding these four core barriers, which by the way, didn't come out of my research, but came out of my coaching with people. Mm. And you know, my wife is a dietitian. And and one of the things that we talk about is that idea of moderation, right? So I always make this joke, like her first love was Ben and Jerry. And- she she likes she's a she like she's a sweet tooth. She loves a good ice cream. She loves a good cake. She loves a good cookie. And she taught me the beauty of moderation. Yes. Without beating myself up about having pasta or a carb. That's right. Right? Or these bad foods that everyone thinks, right? We put such a bad label on foods. Have your cake and yes. eat something else too. You know, yes. like you don't have the, that's the title of your next book, right? No, uh, I think you should make an acronym <laughs> out of cake, actually. You should, should do that. I should. I should. Um, and, and that idea of being able to feel good about your choice and also be happy. That I don't have to feel like a, like a terrible human being for thinking it and for doing it. That's right. Well, you know, the research related to Kristen Neff's self-compassion concept, I mean, it's not her concept, but she did a lot of research around it, um, shows that um, being compassionate with ourselves about these things is much more motivating than judging ourselves and feeling like failures. I mean, there's so many different bodies of research. Oh, ha, pun, bodies of research that align with and support everything we're talking about. I mean, besides it's common sense, you know, yeah. it's common sense. It'd be easier if we, we trusted our common sense. That'd be nice. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, 
I love your energy and I, I love your work and I love the, 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 the how, how you're explaining everything. Um, when it comes down to it, when someone's struggling with their choices and struggling with making the choices that feels more in line with themselves, what would be one to three things that you think you can tell someone who might be listening today of the idea of how to make better choices for them? And smarter choices in line with themselves versus maybe the noise or the other things that might be going on. Well, you know, there's two key diagnostics in the way that I approach this. And the first one has to do with one of the things you started with, which was people's why, their purpose and meaning of wanting to, you know, aim in a healthier direction, healthier. I don't want, want wanting to take care of themselves better. So it was, it's very important that people get very specific about why they want to do it. And if their whys feel like shoulds, they might want to consider not moving forward because shoulds keep people shoulds are wrong whys. And they tend to keep people in a vicious cycle of failure, which just reinforces the negative experience. And um, so it, it's really, it's kind of a, a come to something moment where you really have to be honest with yourself and say, do I really, am I deeply and not committed? I actually just wrote a, I just did a survey, a reader survey about using the word committed. The feeling is, do I deeply Am I deeply invested in taking better care of myself? I think the word commitment, as I wrote about in my newsletter, I think it's it's it misguides people. Um, and I think we're going to have to have a whole other conversation about that. Um, the second thing that people should think about, and and to and to get to get deep to find it deeply compelling, I think we want to get at how do we want to feel every day? What do we care about doing well and and, and being kind to people. I mean, I know personally when I don't get enough sleep, that's one of my, you know, that's my foundational self-care behavior. I am mean to everyone I come across. I don't enjoy even the smallest details of my work, the things that I love on every other day. So we want to be very clear about what do we want to get out of it? And sometimes it's an experiment to discover how we do feel better when we make certain choices. So I think viewing that how you're going to benefit as an experiment um, is a really important framework for that. And then the mm -hmm. second thing relates to the tactics. And this gets back to the joy choice, which is in, in general, when I, when I can't do what I hope to or plan to do in a day, and we're not talking about like the bigger want to of CrossFit, we're talking about I wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to walk with my friend. I wanted to walk outside, whatever it is. When we can't do that because of something unexpected, do we just throw it all away? Or do we say, you know what? I can't do that, but I can do this. And the research suggests that the this, the something is better than nothing. Well, I mean, there is almost no saying that is less sexy than something is better than nothing. But there also isn't an expression that almost has, that doesn't have as much, or that has as much truth as mm. that. It's, it's the moderation. It's the goal. It's what your wife was teaching you. Um, and so your why and tactics. 
We want to have a deeply compelling reason why we want to take care of ourselves through intentional eating and movement. And we want to make sure that we don't come at it with all or nothing thinking, which is a new topic of new research. Um, because that's just going to keep sending. If you can't do it all, there's only one option. Nothing, yeah, right. right? I love that. I think I think in the world that we live in today, I think the biggest lesson that people need to learn is balance and middle ground and gray areas. I know I, I, I struggle with that myself like every other person. And I know that I help a lot of people with that as well because it's such a pervasive thing that people think if I don't do it, I, I, I can't. If I don't do anything, if I don't do all of it, I can't do any of it. And I heard a line um, that was written in Will Smith's biography, a memoir that he wrote. Okay. And he was always taught that 90, 99% is still not 100. It's zero. That's what he was taught as a kid. And when he got married to Jada Pinkett and, you know, they were building a relationship and he was struggling with his concept. She's like, you realize mathematically that's the stupidest thing ever because 99 is closer to 100 than zero. And he was like, oh, you're right. I never thought of that because he was always taught that it means zero. If it's not yeah. all, it's zero. And she was like, you idiot. It's 99. It's one off of that's closer to 100%. Then zero is to a hundred, and I think if we take that balanced approach to our health, we would be healthier, happier, and just living a better life. So, I really thank you for all your work. Really, it's wonderful, and um, I really appreciate you being on the show today to like give just a taste of your knowledge. and And I hope everyone buys your books and hires you as a consultant and as a speaker and as a coach. <laughs> and again, thank you so much for all your flexibility and 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 uh, waiting and waiting the ride of the a million cancellations and rescheduling. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to be on your podcast. I love talking to you. Um, and I, and I, I appreciate what you're doing and I, I, I don't think you need an acronym, but if you think so, I hope you create it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the dude therapist. It means a lot to me because without you, the listeners, this podcast can't happen. So every listen, every download, every rate, review, and share means so much to me. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Talking about wellness, mental health, and relationships is one of my passions. And that's what this podcast is all about. So thanks so much for tuning in. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, thoughts, collaborations, Email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Always feel free to DM me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Don't forget to be kind to yourself and to others. And as always, see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast.